Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. A series of unfortunate events. Okay, first of all, my knee hurts. Book the second in the reptile room. Let's talk about Peyton's knee again. Let's hear it. Dude, she did a good skin. I know we just told you in the other episode before this, but ouch to the ouch, ouch. It's the same day. I know, it's, it's the same day. day. We did two in a row. Mm. We're kind of flaky with reading, huh? Mm. Yeah. Okay, chapter five. If you guys know what flaky means, it means that like we used to do it every day, but now we don't. Not because we don't want to, but just because it's really hard to, for it to be quiet. And you guys have heard episodes with the dogs walking around. It drives me Fling, fling, and crazy. But now they're just really tired and sleepy. Fluffing crazy. Fluffing, fluffing. Where's the puppy? Probably maybe under my bed. Yeah, he's somewhere. I see. I see the two biggies. Okay, ready? Chapter five. That night felt like the longest and most terrible the Baudelaire orphans had ever had. And they'd had plenty. There was one night shortly after Sunny was born that all three children had the horrible had a horrible flu and tossed and turned in the grasp of the terrible fever while their father tried to soothe them all at once, placing cool washcloths on their sweaty brows. The night after the parents had been killed, the three children had stayed at Mr. Poe's house and they stayed up all night. <sighs> Too miserable and confused to even try and sleep. And, of course, they had spent many long, terrible nights while living with Count Olaf. But this particular night seemed worse. From the moment of Monty's arrival until bedtime, Stefano kept the children under his constant surveillance. A phrase here which means kept watching them so he couldn't possibly talk to Uncle Monty alone and reveal that he was really Count Olaf and Uncle Monty was too preoccupied to think that anything was unusual going on. When they brought the rest of Uncle Monty's purchases, Stefano carried bags with only one hand, keeping the other hand in his pocket where the long knife was hidden. But Uncle Monty was too excited to talk about his new supplies to ask about it. When they were, went into the kitchen to prepare dinner, Stefano smiled menacingly at the children as he sliced mushrooms, but... Uncle Monty was too busy making sure that the stroganoff sauce didn't boil to even notice Stefano was using his own threatening knife for chopping. Over dinner, Stefano told very funny stories and praised Monty's scientific work, and Uncle Monty was just so flattered that he didn't even think to, to guess that Stefano was holding a knife under the table, rubbing the blade very gently against Violet's knee for the entire meal. And when Uncle Monty announced that he would spend the evening showing his new assistant around the reptile room, he was too eager to realize that the Baudelaire's simply went to bed without a word. For the first time, having an individual bedroom seemed like a hardship rather than a luxury, for without one another's company, the orphans felt more lonely and helpless. Violet stared at the paper and tacked the paper tacked to her wall and tried to imagine what Stefano was planning. 
Klaus sat in his large cushioned chair and turned on his brass reading lamp, but was too worried to even open a book. Sunny stared at her hard. Ob- uh, stared at her hard. Stared at her hard objects. What? Sunny stared at her hard objects. Okay, but didn't even. Oh, okay, I get it. Sunny stared at her hard objects, but didn't even bite a single one of them. Sorry, I had a moment. All three children thought of walking down the hall to Uncle Monty's room and walking him, walking up to him. Oh, and waking him to tell. Okay, what are you doing? I tried to put him his bed over here so we can lay down, but Max is just going crazy. No, come on, bud. Look at that, buddy. Thank you, Peyton. Okay, lay down. Sit, Max. Sit, buddy. You're a good dog. Max, sit. Oh my gosh. I wish he would have just left it now. He's being Looney Tunes. Max, lay down. Lay down. Ay, ay, ay. Good boy, buddy. All three children thought of walking down the hall to tell Uncle Monty to Uncle Monty's room and walking waking him up to tell him what's wrong. But to get to his bedroom, they would have to walk past the room in which Stefano was staying. And all night long, Stefano kept watching in a chair placed in front of his open door. When the orphans opened their door to peer down the hallway, they saw Stefano's pale, shaved head, which seemed to be floating above his body in darkness. As they could see his knife, which Stefano was moving slowly like a pendulum of a grandfather clock, back and forth it went back and forth glinting into the dim light and that sight of was a fierce so fearsome that they didn't dare try and walk by the hallway finally the light in the house turned pale blue gray of early dawn and the Baudelaire children walked blearily down the stairs to breakfast tired and achy from their sleepless night they sat around the table where they had eaten cake on the first morning at the house and picked and picked listlessly at their food. For the first time since their arrival at Uncle Monty's, they were not eager to enter the reptile room and begin the day's work. I suppose we have to go in now, Violet said, finally putting aside her, her scarcely nibbled toast. I'm sure Uncle Monty's already started working in his, and he's expecting us. Oh, I'm sure Stefano's there too, Klaus said, staring gloomily into his cereal bowl. We'll never get a chance to tell Uncle Monty what we know about him. Yinga, Sunny said sadly, dropping her untouched raw carrot to the floor. If only Uncle Monty knew what we know, Violet said, and Stefano knew that he knew that we knew. But Uncle Monty doesn't know what we know, and Stefano knows that he doesn't know what we know. I know, said Klaus. I know you know, said Violet. But we don't. What we don't know is what Count Olaf, I mean Stefano, is really up to. He's after our fortune, certainly. But how can we? But how can he get it if we're under Uncle Monty's care? Maybe he's just going to go wait until you're of age and then steal the fortune. Klaus said. Four years is a long time to wait. Violet said. And the three orphans were quiet as each remembered where they had been four years ago. Violet had been ten, and had worn her very, her or had worn her hair very short. She remembered 
that sometime around her 10th birthday, she had invented a new kind of pencil sharpener. Klaus had been about eight, and he remembered how interested he had been in the comets, in comets, reading all the astronomy books his parents had in the library. Sunny, of course, had not been in, not been born for four years. Oh, had not been born four years ago, and she sat and tried to remember what it was like. Very dark, she thought, with nothing to bite. For all three youngsters, four did not seem like a long time. Come on, come on, you're moving very slowly this... Oh, come on, come on, you're moving very slowly this morning, Uncle Monty said, bursting into the room. His face seemed even brighter than usual, usual, and he was holding a small bunch of folded papers in one hand. Stefano have only worked here one day and he's already in the reptile room. In fact, he was up before I was and I ran into him on my way down there. He's an eager beaver, but you three are moving like a Hungarian sloth snake whose top speed is a half an inch per hour. We have lots to do today and I'd like to sketch, I'd like to catch that six o'clock showing of zombies in the snow tonight. So let's try and hurry, hurry, hurry. Violet looked at Uncle Monty and realized that he, that this might be their only opportunity to talk to him alone without Stefano around, but he seemed so wound up they weren't sure if he'd listen to them. Speaking of Stefano, she said timidly, we'd like to talk to you about him. Uncle Monty's eyes widened as if he had looked around and there were spies in the room before they before whispering to the children. I'd like to talk to you too, he said. I have my suspicions about Uncle Monty and, I, and Stefano. I'd like to discuss them with you. The Baudrillaire orphans looked all at once in relief. You do, Klaus said. Of course, Uncle Monty said. Last night, I began to get very suspicious about this new assistant of mine. There's something a little spooky about him. And I, Uncle Monty, turned around and began speaking softer so the children had to hold their breaths to hear him. I think we should discuss this outside, shall we? The children nodded in agreement and rose from the table, leaving their dirty breakfast dishes behind, which is not a good thing to do in general, but perfectly acceptable in the face of an emergency. They walked out with Uncle Monty to the front entry, past the painting of the two snakes, entwined together in front of the door, and onto the lawn as if they wanted to take talk to the three or to the snake-shaped hedges instead of to one another. Do you know what I feel like he reminds me of what he might look like? Remember when you go to Disneyland and you walk into the Indiana Jones ride mm -hmm. and you have to kind of, once you go through like the tunnels, you have to go through that first spot where you like go around and, and it says like, hello, everybody welcome. And he says, dude, whatever you do, do not look into the eyes. Mm -hmm. And then it shows like people that become skeletons. I think he looks like that. Oh, the God that says he Yeah. He looks like an old fashioned guy. I'm going to pull it up and show you. Okay, we just <laughs> took a break and went on YouTube and watched the Indiana Jones intro video or Indiana Jones Indiana Jones ride intro video. And does that remind you of Uncle Monty? Yes, I know. Me too. And he says, look not into the eyes of the idol, for that might be very dangerous. And then the lady's a skeleton. I wonder how many Disney people we have watching or watching. You don't watch a podcast okay listening. listening actually on spotify you could do videos now is that cool mm, I like no no you could watch you love watching videos you watch youtube shorts all the time yes but mom yeah exactly you don't need to go on spotify to see a video you can go on youtube yeah i know but wouldn't that be cool to watch uh, whatever okay whatever it's fine 
You get it now? Yeah, I get it. Okay, great. All right. Now I don't know where we were. Okay, get outside. The children nod in agreement. Rose for breakfast. Intertwined together at the front door. Okay. They wanted, like, they wanted to talk to the snake-shaped hedges instead of to one another. I don't mean to be vainglorious, Uncle Monty began using his words, which meant braggy. But I really am one of those widely respected herpetologists in the world. Well, one of the, uh, one of the most widely respected herpetologists in the world. Klaus blinked. It was an unexpected beginning for the conversation of course you are he said but and because of this i'm sad to say uncle monty continued as if he had not heard many people are jealous of me i'm sure that's true violet said puzzled and when people are jealous uncle monty said shaking his head shaking his head they will do anything they will do crazy things to get what they want when i was getting my herpetology degree my roommate was so envious of a new toad i had discovered that he stole and ate my only specimen i had to x-ray his stomach and then use the x-rays rather than the toad in my presentation and something tells me that we might have a similar situation here what what was uncle monty talking about i'm afraid i can't quite follow you said klaus which was a polite way of saying what are you talking about uncle monty Last night, after you two went to bed, Stefano asked me a few too many questions about my snakes and other upcoming... That's true. About my upcoming expeditions. And do you know why? I think so, Violet began, but Uncle Monty interrupted her. It's because this man, who's calling himself Stefano, he said, is really a member of the Herpetological Society, and he is here to try and find the incredibly deadly viper so he can present it, so he can preempt my presentation. Do you three know what the word preempt means? No, Violet said, but it means that I think Stefano's going to steal my snake, Uncle Monty said, and present it to the Herpetology Society because it's a new species and there's no way I can prove that I discovered it. Before we know it, the incredibly deadly viper will be called the Stefano snake or something dreadful like that. And if he's planning that, I just think that what he'll do to the other Peruvian expedition, each toad we catch, each venom sample we put into a test tube each snake interview we record every scrap of work we do will fall into the hands of the herpetologist spy a society spy he's not a herpetologist society spy klaus said he's count olaf i knew just what you mean uncle monty said excitedly that sort of behavior is is indeed a dastardly as terrible as that man that is why i'm doing this he raised his hand and waved his folded papers in the air as you know he he said tomorrow we are leaving for peru these are our tickets for the five o'clock voyage on the prospero a fine ship that will take us across the sea to south america here's there's a ticket for me one for violet one for klaus and one for stefano not but not one for sunny because we're going to hide her in a suitcase to save money. Depot! Only, I'm kidding about that, but I'm not kidding about this. Uncle Monty's face flushed with excitement as he uh, took one of the papers and began ripping it to tiny pieces. This is Stefano's ticket. He's not going to prove with us after all. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to tell him that his needs... his He needs to stay here and look after my specimens instead. That way... We can run a successful expedition in peace. Oh my gosh, he's going to hurt his animals though. That's what I would be worried about. But Uncle Monty, Klaus said, how many times must I remind you? It's not polite to interrupt. Uncle Monty interrupted, shaking his head. In any case, 
I know what you're worried about. You're worried what will happen if he stays alone with the incredibly deadly viper. But don't worry. This viper will join us on the expedition, traveling in one of our snake-carrying cases. I don't know why you're looking so gloom, Sunny, but I thought you'd be happy to have the viper's company. So don't yeah, look... He shouldn't, he shouldn't rip the, the ticket. He can give it to Sunny instead. No, no, he was just joking. He said, I'm just joking about Sunny. He said he was joking. I know, I know, but yeah. he, he said he only has three tickets. I know, but he said, and Sunny, we're going to save money, and she's going in a suitcase. And he said, I know. Oh. He said, and I'm just kidding about Sunny, but really? Then he said, I'm ripping his ticket up. Okay. Don't look so worried, Bambini. As you can see, your Uncle Monty has the situation in hand. When somebody is a little bit wrong, say when a waiter puts a non-fat milk in your espresso macchiato instead of low-fat, it is often quite easy to explain to them how and why they are wrong. But if somebody is surpassing wrong, say, and a, when a waiter bites your nose instead of taking your order, you can often be so surprised that you're unstable to say anything at all. Paralyzed by how wrong the waiter is, your mouth would have would hang slightly open and your eyes would blink over and over, but you would be unable to say a word. That is what the Baudelaire children did. Uncle Monty was so wrong about Stefano and thinking that he was a herpetologist spy rather than Count Olaf, that is, the three siblings could scarcely think of a way to tell him. Come on now, my dears, Uncle Monty said. We've wasted enough time this morning of talk. We have to... Ow! He interrupted himself with a cry of surprise and a pain he felt on the ground. Uncle Monty, Klaus cried. The Baudelaire children saw that a large shiny object was on top of him and realized a moment later that the, what the object was. The heavy brass reading lamp on the side, on the one standing next to the large cushion in Klaus's room. Ow! Uncle Monty said again, pulling the lamp off of him. That really hurt. My shoulder may be sprained. It's a good thing it didn't land on my head or it could have really done some damage. But where did it come from, asked Violet. It must have fallen from the window, Uncle Monty said, pointing up at Klaus's room. Whose, whose room is that, Klaus? Klaus, I believe it's yours. You must be careful. You can't dangle heavy objects out the window like that. Look what almost happened. But the lamp wasn't anywhere near my window, Klaus said. I keep it in the alcove so I can read in a large chair. Really, Klaus? Uncle Monty said, standing up and handing him the lamp. Did you honestly expect me to believe the lamp danced over to the window and leapt onto my shoulder? Please put this back in your room in a safe place and we'll say no more about it. But, Klaus said, but his older sister interrupted him. I will help you, Klaus, Violet said. We'll find a safe a place for it so where it's safe. Well, don't be too long, Uncle Monty said, rubbing his shoulder. We'll see you in the reptile room. Come, Sonny. Walking through the entry hall, the four parted their ways while with Uncle, Uncle Monty and Sonny going to the enormous door of the reptile room and Violet and Klaus carrying the heavy brass lamp to Klaus's room. You know very well, Klaus hissed to his sister, that I was not careless with this lamp. But of course I know that, Violet whispered. But there's no use to explain that to Uncle Monty. He thinks Stefano is a herpetology spy. You know as well as I do that Stefano is responsible for that. How clever of you to figure that out, said a voice at the top of the stairs. And Violet and Klaus were so surprised that they almost dropped the lamp. 
it was Stefano, Stefano, or if you prefer, it was Count Olaf. It was the bad guy. But then you've always been clever children, he continued, a little too clever for my taste, but you won't be around for long, so I'm not troubled by it. You're not clever, you're not very clever yourself, Klaus said fiercely. This is a heavy brass lamp and it almost hit us. But if anything happened to my sister or me, you'll never get your hands on the Baudelaire fortune. Dear me, dear me, Stefano said, his grim teeth showing a mild smile. If I wanted to harm you, orphan, your blood would already be pouring down these stairs like a waterfall. No, I'm not going to harm a hair on any Baudelaire head. Not here in this house. You needn't be afraid of me, little ones, until we find ourselves in a location where crimes are most difficult to trace. And where would that be? Violet asked. We plan to stay right here until we grow up. Really, Stefano said with a sneaky voice. Why, I had the impression that we were leaving the country tomorrow. Uncle Monty tore your ticket up, Klaus said. I know he shouldn't have said that. Klaus replied triumphantly. He was suspicious of you, so he changed his plans, and now you're not coming with us. Stefano's smile turned into a scowl, and his stained teeth seemed to grow bigger. His eyes grew so shiny that it hurt Violet and Klaus to look at them. I wouldn't rely on that, he said in a terrible voice. Even the best of plans can change if there's an accident. He pointed one spiky finger at the brass reading lamp, and accidents happen all the time. He's so terrible. My goodness, this guy's a monster. He's Count Olaf. Yeah. Would you think that the kids did the right thing? What do you think? I don't either. I cannot believe he said anything. <gasps> Thank you. I can't believe. What would you have done differently? Not tell him. How come? What do you mean, how come? Like, why do you think that was about the wrong reason? I want to know what you think. I know what I think, but I want to know what you think. Because he... Now he's going to, like, be like, oh, and I... Now he... Yeah, because he's going to change his plan, huh? What do you think would have happened if they never told him? They would be safe to this day. You think so? They would have children. I wonder, okay, anybody who's listening to this, what would you have done different? I would have just, like, kept Ooh, quiet. That's yeah, that's, that's pretty good. What? I'm just pretending that they're talking and I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. Peyton said, ooh, she likes your idea. Yeah. Honestly, that was not very smart of, of Klaus to say that. But I think he's so angry and so upset, huh? My goodness. Man. Would you like to do one more chap? Yeah. Okay, we're doing one more chap, chappies. <laughs>